0: I'm Dom Bethanelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Jack Berzini. Hey, Jack. Hey, Dom. And Thomas Enerho. Hey, Thomas.
1: Hey, Dom. How's it going?
0: Very good. Thanks. Uh, before we get started, I want to have a plug another show that's on the uh, StarQuest Network, one that I'm sure... Secrets of Technology listeners will love, and it's called Let's Science, and it features our Australian friends, uh, Caroline Knight, Lindsay Scent, and Lena Sabal, talking about science topics, fun, cool science topics, very, they do it about uh, 15, 20 minutes, half an hour at most, and they cover so, they cover space, they cover uh, earth science, there's all kinds of fun things, they had a recent episode on tardigrades in space, and <laughs> they had uh, another one of this new titanosaur, dinosaur called uh, uh, Cooper. It was discovered in Australia, so you gotta, he's going to have a cool name. And uh, it's, just, it's a great show. So if you want to check it out, it's wherever you find your uh, podcast or go to sqpn.com slash science. But let's talk about uh, our topics for tonight. And our first topic is billionaires in space. <laughs> not quite
1: uh, tardigrades. That's like tardigrades. Know, kind guess. of close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: I think the tardigrades are actually cooler than the billionaires, but... Uh, <laughs> And of course, this this refers to the fact that uh, Jeff Bezos of Blue Origin, Richard Branson of Virgin Galactic, and Elon Musk is, although he didn't go into space, has got his own space company, SpaceX, uh, are all running these projects. And there's a criticism out there why we should spend so much money or they should spend so much money on vanity projects like these when there's so much need on Earth, homelessness, uh, war, famine, et etc. et cetera. So, I'm going to throw it to you guys because you guys are both huge space fans. What do you think? Jack, let's start with you. What do you think about this criticism uh, of the billionaires in space?
2: I think about it in terms of the same criticisms that were brought up in the 1960s against the government. People had the exact same problems uh, then that people have now with people like Jeff Bezos going into space. And on the one hand, I understand – I understand the issues that people have with billionaires, you know, using tax loopholes and all that stuff to not pay anywhere near their fair share of taxes. And I think that those are legitimate concerns. But I don't think that that is mutually exclusive to them also being able to do projects like this going into space. And one of the things that people have actually brought up, because I live in the Huntsville area um, where the Saturn V and the Apollo program were developed. Rocket City. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's it's a cool place. Come visit. Yes. Um, But one of the main criticisms that people have, and especially in increasing years as we've gotten, a a lot of the the politics now are focused on let's go through things in the past and kind of root out, quote unquote, problematic things. A lot of the guys who worked on the Apollo program were ex-Nazi scientists. And that is a – it's a complicated issue. It's not a black and white issue because a lot of these guys, they were just scientists working for their government and – as with most things, they were just caught up in the machinations of what was going on. There are definitely criticisms for how they could have handled things, but at the same time, you can't know in the moment what's going on. And one of the problems that I have with people saying, well, we need to remove everything to do with Werner von Braun and why did we use any of his research is the fact that that research was there and he was a good rocket scientist regardless of his politics and to not utilize that, especially at the time when if we did not use it, the Soviets were going to use it. It really seems short-sighted to the fact that that stuff is there and we need to be cognizant of the issues with it. But we also don't need to just stop using something just because some of the people involved with it were less than savory. And I feel like it's the same kind of thing here.
0: And to be clear with Von Braun, there was no accusations that he committed any war crimes or or. Crimes Against Humanity, right? you know, he he like any other scientist for any, working for any other government military was building weapons for his government. But, you know, we had guys doing that, too. It's just his government was a bad government. But, you know, so and it is a complicated discussion. But I think your point relative to this is a good one, which is, you know, the, there are there are many it, It's it's rarely black and white. It's rarely simple, you know, X or Y. Uh, you know, there's like that, like that great meme of the little girl. Why not both? Like, yeah, they, these guys are do, like, for instance, Jeff Bezos and, and Branson, they do huge charity things. They do run giant companies that employ lots of people and bring economic, you know, well-being to you people. You know, it's not one or the other.
1: Well, and, and these are companies themselves, right? So you have, you know, with Bezos, right. it's, mm-hmm. it's an entire company that he's, that he started with Branson. Same thing. It's an entire company that he started based around these spaces. Uh, and that's that's one of the things that my wife and I would, uh, talked about is like we'd like to know what what their work condition for their employees in these companies is, because that's one of the one of the criticisms that I think is valid against SpaceX is that their work conditions tend to be a little brutal and people are there because they want to be, which which I get. But they also are not being paid commensurate to what they could be uh, in an equal field somewhere else. So that, that's one knock against SpaceX. But, you know, I'd, I'd like to know what Blue Origins and, and Virgin Galactic's situation are. But but on top of that, I mean, the, we're talking about Blue Origins, like $10 billion, right? It's a $10 billion company. And I, or this this rocket launch, I think, uh, leading up to this rocket launch was $10 billion. That's chump change to a, a billionaire, like, you know, to the richest man in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And and I'm not saying that it's, it's chump change to all of us, but he could be spending that on a house, you know, or on a... On a, On an island that's just for complete vanity's sake his right and he didn't he, instead he chose to do something exploratory, something that's that pushes the boundaries of what's possible, and you know we'll we'll get into talking about the, you know the particulars of the different uh uh designs that they've gone through for their for their rockets, but you know they they're making new technology accessible and that's not wasted money. It, it, yeah, it might not be returning it right now, and it might not be putting you know food in multiple people's mouths. But eventually, just like things like zippers and uh, you know Tang, uh, you know uh, Velcro, dehydrated right? stuff, you know, everything that came from the space program and how useful it's been. Yeah, so I, I think that's something to. So you have to weigh that uh, against each other.
0: You know, historically, so many things have started as vanity projects or aimed uh, luxury items for the wealthy you know the the first steam locomotive was it ran in a tr- in a circular track like it, it went nowhere you know and people like what why are you wasting all this money to create this toy and you know giving rides to people but now trains they carry you know everything everywhere. The first cars were for rich dilettantes. The air travel was originally a luxury for the rich to go places. And now, you know, if your grandma's sick on the other side of the country, you hop into a cattle car and fly there. It is a terrible experience, you know, and someday it's going to be the moon or Mars or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but but it will eventually... Available for all, and and these things, these projects by rich people or for rich people, eventually made the modern world we live in possible, including advances in agriculture that feed many billions more people than were being fed in the 70s. You know, the, I mean, all these sorts of things have been made possible in part by rich people putting their money into speculative, uh, you know, and and and. Let's be honest, uh, ego building
2: project. Thomas Edison was famously uh, egocentric, but he did a lot of good. And it just seems like I think that one valid criticism and I'm trying to kind of play devil's advocate here on Mm -hmm. from what people are saying is that the way it's portrayed is, oh, Jeff Bezos is flying this rocket into space and he's done all this work. And obviously he is the one who's facilitated this to be done by having the. You know the capital to pay Blue Origin to do this, and it's up uh, the people working there who, a lot of the time, you're not really going to know their name. And I I get that criticism, but honestly, that's how it's always been. Like the Great Pyramid at Giza, it's I think it's named for Khufu. We don't yeah. know the individual workers who worked on it. That's just right.
0: Right. Yeah. And Steve Jobs I mean, did
1: not did Steve not create. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Steve exactly. <Jobs> says, <laughs> 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 you, we don't have to look very far back. We don't have to look yeah. back to the pyramids just just recently, right? Right. He didn't make the iPhone bunch yeah. of people
0: did you know and, and including a lot of people that we never know their names yeah it's but it's always good there's always a leader i mean george washington didn't fight every battle in the in the war of independence he, he but he was the he was the commander in chief we we don't we never know all the names so yeah i i i, I agree with you on that one jack it's it's not really you know, just because his name is up front and and these companies aren't don't merely exist for the sake of lifting a billionaire into space. I mean, that's just sort of, you know, in in one sense, it's like, if I'm if I'm the guy who started the company, I kind of want to be the first one to ride on it. Like, (laughs) exactly, I I may never go up (laughs) again, but, you know, I put the money up. But this company exists for a different reason. Blue Origin exists to lift payloads into orbit for, for the government and for private enterprise. I mean, that's just like SpaceX. Mm hmm.
1: But I think it's interesting that SpaceX didn't go that way, right? Elon Musk did not put himself in the first capsule to go up. He uh, you know they they're they're contracting to carry uh people into space that were supposed to be going there and um it, it, but it, but it's it's also interesting too, that the FAA uh, recently changed their definition of what an astronaut is, and I think that kind of dovetails into what we're talking about here. And so it it looks like what's going to end up happening is that uh, Jeff Bezos will not be an astronaut and uh, Richard Branson Branson will actually be an astronaut, according to this definition. And so the the two sticking points are that um, when you are going into space, you have to be doing something that's related to exploration and advancing exploration. And you also have to have been trained to do that particular thing. So it's not not just that you, you know, shelled out some money and got yourself out of out out and out past the Carmen line. And so um, uh, business did not do either of those things. He just went up and he came back down and that that was it. But Sir Richard Branson is a trained pilot. He made sure that that was something that he did before he went up. And when he was going up, since he was in the cabin, he was technically testing the cabin experience. That was the definition of what he was doing when he was going up it was written beforehand they talked about it all during the launch that that's what he what his purpose the purpose of the the astronaut sitting in the backseat of the virgin galactic system uh they were all testing the cabin experience as they were going up which means that they were performing an experiment to advance exploration and that he had been previously trained so he fits the definition then of uh the faa's definition of an astronaut
2: hmm. that is interesting and i would say that uh I think that makes sense, because if Jeff Bezos riding in a capsule is an astronaut, then we're all airline pilots under the <laughs> <Right>. same definition. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice. Uh, does it make a difference, the purpose of the company? Like Blue Origin and SpaceX are about, you know, classic payload lifting into space. Virgin Galactic, they're space tourism. I don't think they've made any bones about the fact that they're not about doing other stuff. Or am I wrong? Are they, do they have they, bigger they plans? Are.
1: Uh, they are, actually. I was okay. I was really surprised looking at the list of astronauts that they have coming up. There is not a single launch that they have planned that does not have someone on it who is running a scientific experiment of some kind. Uh, so every single launch that they have, someone is going up with something that benefits from that zero gravity uh, system. So it, it, some of them are pressurized things. Some of them are just... Um, Tests about uh, traveling in space, about uh, you know low, low orbit travel. Uh, some of them are atmospheric tests, and uh, for anybody who's played uh, Kerbal Space Program, <laughs> which is <laughs> one of my favorites, um, just doing stupid tests right outside the the Kármán line. It, it's a, it's an important thing, you know, just taking that data that says that there there is actually a difference between this this way of doing things and this way of doing things. So they are actually. You know, it's not much. It, uh, it's a very limited window that you have to run a test, so, you, so it has to be something that can be very immediately taken uh, measurements of. But it's still one of their primary purposes is to get scientists okay. up there.
0: Mm-hmm. Thomas, you um, you've mentioned a couple times the Carmen line. Can you explain for the listener what that is?
1: Okay, so I'm going to butcher it because I can never remember exactly what it is. But the Carmen line is 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 basically the spot in space uh, where we have sort of put the arbitrary line and said okay this is where earth ends and space begins and it's uh it, it was established just because there was a lot of discussion about what exactly it meant during the space race you know what what constituted space because we could fly aircraft really high but there was a certain point once where once an aircraft got high enough there was no more atmosphere for it to be able to continue to run but that still wasn't really space because there was more atmosphere out there it's just was thin enough that you couldn't fly a plane anymore so the carmen line's about 100 miles up that's that's the easiest way to remember it. it's 100 miles up uh that is the spot at which you've traveled outside of earth and you are then in space okay
0: Mm and there was some controversy over whether uh well i think it was branson actually made it past the carmen line right uh, I thought that, that was there was a controversy about one of them going whether they actually made it past the line and got into
1: space. Oh, I hadn't heard that. Oh, interesting. I'll have to look that up.
0: Okay, I, I I was I remember there was like talk about it and whether I think I thought it was Branson whether he actually was going to be going literally into space even though they're suborbital and all that other stuff. So I was I was kind of curious on that. Because maybe maybe that was didn't maybe they both made it past it and it was not
1: really material afterward. Well, even the Carmen line is like it, it's one of those things. It, Talking about low orbit you're still yeah inside of the atmosphere, really like yeah you've not you're, achieved you're still able to be slowed down. Orbital,
2: <laughs> you've not achieved like an orbital trajectory at that point, like even right. with Blue Origin, like he wasn't staying in orbit with that with that launch, but that wasn't the intent. The only one that's done that so far has been spacex spacex right
0: I wonder how high Alan Shepard got in his original. Because now, now, we're, now we're really into the uh, space trivia. It's, this is how space enthusiasm goes. Uh, I, I wonder if he got higher than the um, than the others did. That's a good question. His trajectory of Alan Shepard's historic flight from NASA. I'm looking it up right now. Uh, I shouldn't open up web pages while I'm uh, doing podcasts because <laughs> it tends to really mess with my uh, link. Uh, it says, oh, wait, 125 miles. There it is.
2: Okay, so, so well above, yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Interesting, interesting. All right, well, I think. Well, another aspect of this too is that the of the criticism of this is the criticism of space tourism, like as if you know, just paying for, like you said, paying for a ticket to get a seat and going into space is somehow not a valid use of space, you know, of uh, use of this technology, um, and you know, we, we shouldn't. Yeah. There's one congressman from Oregon who wants to have a uh, an excise tax on space tourism. Of what course. do you guys think of this, <laughs> apart from the uh, the obvious politics of it? What, what do you think of this this idea of space tourism is somehow not a valid use of technology and money and that
2: sort of thing? I think it's just the government trying to get their cut, yeah. <laughs> as with <the> most things.
1: <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I feel like I feel like to what all you're going to do is just push all of these space companies to launch stuff off of boats. That's right. That's what they've been wanting to try anyway. But now that's a good point. You're going to make them do.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It'll it'll push them to have spaceports either in other countries who will say, hey, come down here to Mexico or come up here to Canada or what have you. And launch." I mean, isn't that uh, French Guyana in in. South America is where the European Space Agency has launched rockets for ages. I mean, they have mm-hmm. the infrastructure down there that could become the spaceport for these private companies. So, yeah, you could be cutting off your nose to spite your face in this case if if <laughs> yeah. they if Congress passes this. I I think I don't know there. Well, I don't want to get too much into the politics of it, but because I, mean, I think this there's, there's some politics involved here about classism and that sort of stuff. Uh, but I don't think it's an invalid, invalid for reason for someone to go into space because they just want to go. I, if I had two hundred fifty thousand dollars, I'd plunk it down on the table t- to go up yeah. in Virgin Galactic. You know, I mean, just. I, don't well, know, I, I, put,
1: mean. I put my um, I put my entries in on uh, Omaze when they when they announced <laughs> yeah. that they're out you do know, I've got I've got all my entries in there. I did, I did it. Right, right, <laughs> well, right. So, and I and,
2: think a lot of this um, with with arguments about like why are they doing this in the first place? It's like sometimes just because we can, like the fact mm-hmm. that we have the ingenuity to build machines that can take us into space is really awesome. And I feel like that's enough of a reason to go.
0: Right. there, You just get the feeling that there were people back in 1491 saying to Columbus, look, why are you wasting your time trying to find <laughs> some land across the sea? We've got plenty of things we need to do right here. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, imagine like if he hadn't got, sometimes we go because... There's more to see. There's more to do because it's because it's there,
1: you know, and some I, of it. Some of it we need to start rewriting the narrative, too. Right. I, mm-hmm. Because I, I think Star Trek worked to boldly go where no man has gone. Right. To to right. just explore. Star Trek worked because they were in a society that was. Um, resource rich. Right. They, okay. they were had an overabundance of things. Yep. Uh, and so there was there's nothing holding them back. And we're at a spot right now where we are resource-rich. We ha- Yes, there are still problems, right? And But I think one of the things that you see if you really pay attention to Star Trek is that there were still problems in the Federation, right? The Federation wasn't perfect. There were still out-groups, and there were groups that didn't have, and mm-hmm. uh, there were people that needed to be taken care of. So even in a resource-rich environment, there's always going to be—the poor are always going to be with us, right? Yes. That's, that's always going to be the case. Yes. But that doesn't, that doesn't mean we drop everything we're doing. You know, we, we do move forward. We explore, we advance. And, and a lot of times those explorations and those advancements, they can, they can make benefit. They can make other things off of, off of the side of them. Right. Right. And that's what we need to look for is the opportunity to say, first off, we're not so destitute that we can't afford to do this kind of thing because we can, we're doing it. Yeah. It's happening. And it's not the the world is not falling apart because uh, a few millionaire, a few billionaires want to go into space. And it won't because largely we're okay. And so we need to start moving away from that. Like, well, everybody's uh, there's horrible things happening and we, you know, yeah, I mean, there are, but that's always going to be the case. Right. Right.
0: That'll always be a reason not to go.
2: Right. And the money that is going into these space programs compared to the global GDP is minuscule if you really look at the percentage. Like $10 billion is obviously an insane amount of money, but it's not that much compared to all the other money in the world. And that amount of money, that additional amount of money is not going to fix these problems that people are concerned right. about.
0: Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's a pittance compared to the problems
2: Mm-hmm. And the other thing
0: to it, it's it sounds a lot like the the criticisms of um why the Vatican is full of priceless art shouldn't the Vatican right. sell the church should sell off all this priceless artwork? Why are we spending all this money on on big beautiful churches? Well, you know when people are in need well, because these are expressions of who we are that God has made us to be God has made us to be uh awed by beauty, seekers of truth. You know, wanting justice, seekers of justice, to 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 go out and find, to be curious and to explore mm-hmm. the creation that he has given us. I mean, we like, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. Right. We can take care of the poor and explore space. We can fix our earthly problems and go into space at the same time. These are not exclusive. And the fact is, is these are private individuals. These are just. This is not. You know, When the government's doing it, it's, oh, why is the government wasting our money? Well, okay, so the government's not doing this. It's private individuals. Why are these private individuals wasting? Hey, it's <laughs> when it comes down to it, it's their money.
2: Some <laughs> right. people are never going to be happy, though. <laughs> if yeah. Jeff
0: Bezos piled his m- millions into a big pile and set him on fire, it's his money. Like, when it comes down to it. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. We don't have a right to tell him what to do with it. Uh, so, I mean, to me, that feels like the bottom line is, you know, we could criticize all we want, but it's really – it's a private enterprise and it's a private business. It's not illegal. Mm-hmm. I suppose we could, like this Oregon congressman, try to pass right. laws to, to regulate it. But
2: but when that happens, people stop aspiring to more, and then nothing gets done, and everyone is still miserable. And yes, right, the problems are still going to be here. Like people need something to live for,
0: right. Something to raise their eyes up. I mean, what, every time one of these launches goes off, people gather around their their computers. They go on the YouTube live stream. You know, the whole thing. People are we we are in, inspired by this. We are excited mm-hmm. by this. Uh, these are things. The, what one of the few rare things that bring us all together. Right. Although apparently not, but you know what I mean? <laughs> many more of us anyway. Uh, we need more of this sort of thing that unites us than that separates yeah. us
1: right well, and i'll tell you watching the watching the blue origin launch and landing i was really worried that jeff jeff Bezos had died i was i was oh, very really? concerned because <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> when, when he landed he just sat there yeah and he, like he yeah, didn't move for the longest time <laughs> and i was like oh See, okay. boy so <laughs> yeah. go poke jeff <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is not good yeah
0: Right. I I suppose if I if I had just gone into space, I would probably right. <laughs> sit there be processing it for a while mm-hmm. for sure. Awesome. All right. Well, I think that's a a great discussion. We'd love to hear y- your feedback on what you think about this topic. And you know, is is it a waste of money? Is it something that they should be doing? Or is this you know you? I mean, you've heard our opinions, so we'd love to hear yours. Uh, and you could always let us know what you think by sending an email to technology at sqpn.com. So before we go on to our next segment, I do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create The Secrets of Technology, including Stephen R., Gary H., Daniel V., Jared C., and Joseph W. Their generous donations at sqpn.com. Make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Technology and all the shows that StarQuest you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. All right, I have a little unusual little bit of a segment this time. I, before we get to some headlines, I've, I've been collecting these automations that I've been running uh, in my home, like Shortcut. So iOS has these this program called Shortcuts, and these little scripting programs, automations uh, that you can build, uh, which are... can be really fun and useful and i had a couple of them i told someone about them like oh you should you should talk about them on the show so i'm going to share a couple of the the ones that i've created recently and uh, these are little automations that make life a little easier around my home now the first one i call is the bathroom available and let me tell you a little backstory on that (laughs) i live in a small house one bathroom seven people okay the bathroom (laughs) is never available (laughs) so yeah so uh, now I have smart lights everywhere in my house, right? All the all the outlets full, I have the the smart bulbs, the HomeKit bulbs, and so what I've done is I built an, a shortcut home automation. So in in the shortcuts app, there's a section called home automations that when the bathroom light turns off, the HomePod Mini in my office, I have it play a song, play audio, and I've chosen a song. I chose Who Let the Dogs Out, but you know, you can choose anything that you want. Uh, I just felt like that was appropriate. Uh, and so, whenever someone, what happens is, is whenever someone turns off the bathroom light, the song plays in the in my, in the office. Now, obviously, I don't want that to happen every single time one of the seven, six seven or seven people in my house <laughs> goes to the bathroom. I would quickly go crazy with of who lets the dogs out. So you can uh, turn it on and off. So, okay, if I decide, okay, I need to, you know use the facility and I go and somebody's in there. I'm like, okay, Hey, you know, I'd hurry up. And then I turn it on in my phone, turn the automation on. I go back to the office, keep working. And then who let the dogs out of place. And I'm like, I know I can go. So you can adapt that for anything really, but it's, it's this great little thing where, you know, when, Something turns on or off. Someone does a thing in a room. You could have it when the, someone turns the thermostat above a certain temperature or below a certain temperature. You could it could play give you a warning or something like that. Um, I'm trying to think of how to um, connect it with the, my Ring doorbell so that when someone rings the doorbell, it the flashes light and I get the Star Trek klaxon or something. That would be kind of you know <laughs> run nice. alert! Um Or I, I that probably not. So so that's one <laughs> of my automations. And the other one I call really do not disturb. So this set of shortcut personal automations, it detects when whenever I put my phone into do not disturb mode, it sets my office's HomePod mini volume to zero. What I found is, is that uh, it's connected, the, the HomePod is connected to various things. And so like if someone rings the doorbell, it, it'll, it the, the HomePod will ring or, or other things or someone in, else in the house could. Cause it to make noise, and when I'm recording a podcast, that's that's a bad thing. Uh, in fact, if it wasn't enough of my podcast, you've probably heard it go off until I fixed it. So now I have it so that when the when shortcuts to the text of the phone is in do not disturb mode, it sets the office HomePod to zero, volume zero, and then when I turn do not disturb off, it sets it back up to the volume the, the normal volume I like it at. And uh, one of the things I do is you make I make sure that set both those, those are two different shortcuts, and I make sure to set them both to don't ask before running. Uh, you can set shortcuts to say, hey, do you want this to run? You don't want it to do that because if I've already got the phone in do not disturb mode, it's not going to be asking me to to do it. So one thing I've, I've kind of run into is that uh, when no matter where I am, if I set my phone to do not disturb, it it does set the HomePod to z- zero, which is not usually a problem because I'm the only one who really uses it. But like when I get in my car, and my I turn the car on and the Bluetooth on the car activates the phone automatically goes to do not disturb while driving and it sets the, but it, it hasn't been a problem. So I, I I don't worry about that, but uh, your mileage may vary. Anyway, those are my fun little shortcuts. I can, uh, I think I, I can share those. In fact, I might, yeah, I can put links to them in the show notes. There are links I can share and then you can, if you, if you are an iOS uh, or Mac user because with the new M1 Macs, you can, uh, you can download this for yourself and take a look at how they work and adapt them to your own use.
2: Nice, that's awesome.
0: So uh, let's move on to talk about some headlines. Uh, our first headline this is just very interesting to me. I saw this and I said, "We could definitely got to talk about this." This is in our wheelhouse. Facebook. The New York Times had an article: uh, Facebook's next target: the religious experience, and the story is about how Facebook is working with religious groups, a, a lot of different ones—Christian, uh, Muslim, uh, uh, Jewish some uh Eastern uh faiths and including Catholic uh they mentioned Father Robert Barron in the article. Uh, sorry, Bishop Robert Barron. My brain still calls him Father. <laughs> um so the 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 article says the company aims to become the virtual home for religious community and wants churches, mosques, synagogues and others to embed their religious life into its platform, from hosting worship services and socializing more casually to soliciting money. It's developing new products, including audio and prayer sharing aimed at faith groups. So what do you guys think of Facebook wanting to really get into the religious business? (laughs) What do you guys think of this?
2: I think that they're picking up on a lot of trends that are going on just naturally like being able to be more interconnected which is a great thing. I do not trust Facebook to do it well or safely at all.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah, Thomas. Yeah, I well, having been a social media director for a parish. Um, <laughs> yes. It's uh, it, I it's a it's a noble goal, but I think in a lot of cases um encouraging your entire community to move that direction is difficult because Uh, I had to do so much retraining for people in our community uh, and how to deal with uh, hecklers and trolls and, and just people that just disagreed and wanted to voice their opinion. Uh, You know, it, it was, it was a complete mindset shift that uh, a lot of people weren't ready for. And, um, you know fortunately we got him through it and we we made made things work out but a lot of it was just you know hey you have to choose do you want to engage this or do you just want to shut it down if you shut it down it doesn't look great if you engage it there's a chance that the person has a platform that they wouldn't have had before so i don't know it's i i like the idea of community you know of, of us going to spaces that uh where people are that's that's really the, the aim of evangelism, right? Is to go to where people are. But at the same time, I have become very disenchanted with the toxicity of social media uh, groups. And so there there is a limit to where you want to go to where people are. You know, the, the marketplace, maybe, yes. The brothel,
2: probably <laughs> not
1: so much, right? Right. right.
2: <laughs> and I think you see that even, like, if you look at Catholic Twitter, like, it is an absolute cesspool, to put it in nice words. And I feel like it is probably <laughs> one of the greatest barriers to evangelization. Like if, if you're not Catholic and you go look at the way Catholic people talk to each other on Twitter, it's very disheartening. Right. And I feel like this would just be more of the same.
0: So I've long been – I worked in diocesan social media more than a de- – you know over a decade ago I started doing that. And I was always telling parishes, OK, you know, get involved, have a Facebook page, you know, have your people check into church you know, when they go to events, so you set up your events on Facebook. And I still I still I'm OK with that. Where I start to get a little itchy is when I when Facebook wants to partner with and create tools for and I'm not opposed to giving us better tools for to, to engage with people in our faith. It's the I just I know how Facebook thinks, mm-hmm. Right. you know, and that's the problem. It's like Facebook when, in this article, when they when they ask straight up, ask the person from Facebook, what are you going to do with all the data you collect? Oh, we're not going to treat it any differently from any other data we collect <laughs> from our users. That's a that should be a yeah, red that's a flag. I think.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, and and. And and honestly it's, it's that's the, that's the thing that bothers me about Facebook is the reason that Facebook and Twitter are, are the way they are is because their entire design is about engagement. It's about keeping people engaged. And the right. thing that keeps people engaged consistently on these platforms is not positive interactions. Negative It's negative yeah. interactions. Right. Yes.
0: Right. Negative negativity is what boils the blood, gets people arguing back and forth and keeps people engaged with stuff like that. You're right. And that's not what any religious group should be
1: aspiring to have. You really don't want an algorithm trying to pick which post is best from your uh, mm. from your oh, religious yeah. group, right? <laughs> yes,
0: because I was going to be that one guy who's, you know, at, at, at every church meeting He's in the back, always complaining about stuff. His post will always go to the top because yeah. he'll get the most negative reaction.
2: And I think just with the like Facebook censorship rules and we know that Facebook's values do not align with the values of a lot of different religious groups, not just Christians. And how are they going to decide what they have to police based on those those Mm -hmm. rules?
0: That's a good point. You know, at what point do the tenets of our faith conflict with Facebook? And then and then where does this partnership go? Right. I, I note that. Of all the the religious groups mentioned in here, the you know the Presbyterian Church USA, the Church of God in Christ, these very large Protestant denominations, uh, Jewish groups, and, and and that sort of thing. The only Catholic mentioned is Bishop Robert Barron. There, there is no mention of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops or anything on that scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I find that very interesting.
1: And and that's that. And tend, tend to be clear, there, uh, the Word on Fire Ministry, the, Bishop Barron's ministry, is very good at curating their interactions yeah. and being, mm-hmm. being careful about what they interact with and how, and they have a thick, thick, thick skin. Yes, they <laughs> so, do. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> and that's important.
0: Yeah. Th- I mean, their, their whole mission is to be out on the bleeding edge. They're out there, right. you know, not with the, they're not preaching to the choir. They're out there trying to reach the people who are going to be hostile to them. But mm-hmm. yeah, I I think, I think the, uh, the, the tenor of the article and, and just my, the way I react to it is kind of summed up by the end where they're talking to this guy from this mega church, Hillsong in Atlanta. And he says uh, he's partnering with Facebook to, quote, directly impact and help churches navigate and reach the consumer better. And then he corrects himself, a consumer is not the right word. I mean, the parishioner, reach the parishioner better. And it's like, <laughs> yes, you see, this is Facebook evangelizing you, infecting you. Like, right. we, you know, the people you're reaching are not consumers. <laughs> They're preaching go preaching
1: preach the marketplace not the brothel <laughs> exactly that's, that's what it comes back to <laughs> exactly
0: all right so uh let's keep a wary eye on facebook's uh, entering into the religious experience uh, our next headline is from the the uk guardian and it says uh, what happened when a wildly irrational algorithm made crucial healthcare decisions and the the the, the crux of the article is about how uh a lot of these healthcare systems whether that's the government uh, you know medicare medicaid or other um, private insurance they start to apportion healthcare dollars based on these algorithms of who who needs it and it they they highlight some of these stories of people who are relying on daily care to remain independent these people have independent lives they have jobs but they need someone to care for them on a daily basis like you know they're they're disabled in, in different ways um and when this stuff went away they became housebound and uh where they had terrible health outcomes i don't want to describe some of them but you know they ended up being institutionalized which is worse for everybody it's worse for mm-hmm. the person it's worse for the society it's worse financially um, So what do you guys think the the quote from the article that I wanted to pull out was government officials have touted algorithmic decision-making systems as a way to make sure that benefits are allocated even-handedly, eliminate human bias, and root out fraud. But advocates say having computer programs decide how much help vulnerable people can get is often arbitrary and in some cases downright cruel. So what do you guys think
2: of this? I think one of the crucial words there is human bias, and I don't think the word that they should replace human bias with human empathy because a lot of times caring for sick people is not a for-profit business. And I think that's a lot of the issues we're having with just the way healthcare is handled in general. But yeah, from like from an algorithm point of view, this person's costing a lot of money and like, what's that going towards? But from a human point of view, yeah. And that's, that's why we're caring for them.
1: Right. Right. Well, and even without that, the. Their, the training that is going into these uh, into these algorithms is very bad, and, and this has been across the board in the medical field, especially. So, if you're looking for a job and you want something that you are, if you're in college and you're looking for a job and you're like, you know, AI is a cool thing, I really do this well. If you want mm-hmm. to do it, right? yeah, you're going to need to write a doctoral thesis about it before you get it done. But, but basically, what you need to do is build a set of tools that does not rely solely on statistics that exist, but uh, that has some level of, of empathetic tools built into it. Because the, the problem is, is that we end up with things like, well, okay, the outcomes for this particular uh, race, gender, age combination are abysmal. So we're just not going to allocate funds to that. That's mm-hmm. what the algorithm will say. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and the problem is, is that the algorithm is, is just looking at a sheer statistical sheet and making and crunching numbers. That's all they're doing. And instead of actually, like, trying to take a holistic approach, which is what a human would do, a human would sit down and look at it and take a human, uh, you know, a holistic approach and say, oh, well, you know, I think this is good. And I I get that they're trying to eliminate bias. But the the problem, the problem there is that you just need to train humans better, not give the the training over to a computer. (laughs) Right.
2: It needs like a like if you've ever played with a MIDI program. Uh, when you're putting in like drum beats or different parts, you can. There's like usually a knob that says humanize, and basically that puts in little imperfections in how the music is played, so it sounds more human. These algorithms just need a humanized knob. You can turn <laughs> right. up.
1: That's what we got to do. We got to figure out the humanize uh, switch. Yeah, <laughs> it all comes back to data. That's it's all it's all that emotion chip.
0: <laughs> in a way, it's like it's that they don't have enough data. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they like mm-hmm. they have a set. But what they need is all the data. They need all the information. They need to. to and and I, I I take that point that you made about you know we need better um, algorithms. We need better machine learning because what we need to do is build into the machines and a sense of empathy, an empathy mm-hmm. generator. <laughs> you know, right. yeah. in in the sense of that that care, human caring, love and in caring for someone, uh, because they are good and valuable in and of themselves, has to be one of the huge. Points in a, in any algorithm, you know. I I, I agree. I, having to deal with the healthcare system in general for all this, my seven member family, it, it drives me crazy because of these sorts of things. These decisions that are just seem arbitrary and like why like why why would you do that? It's much it's much worse outcome for us and in you in the long run, the insurance mm-hmm. company than if you just did this or just paid for this or just. But, you know, nope. turning the dials and t- 10,000 people. If we do this to 10,000 people for 9,000 people, it has the outcome we want
1: or something. I am, I am reminded of a moment of uh, a, a training that I went through, a leadership training that I went through. And I had to I had to recuse myself from the game because I immediately recognized it for what it was. Uh, they were playing this game where it was um I can't even remember what they called it, but it was like a, a, it was a, a winning game. It was one of those games where it's like you had to you had to cheat to win, basically. And um, so immediately I recognized it as the prisoner's dilemma, right? We all get ahead if we all agree and and do the Mm -hmm. right thing. But uh, and so I was like, I I can't play because I know I already know the end. I already know what's going to happen. So I don't want to throw anybody else's decision making process and watching people play that game in a leadership conference was intense, (laughs) right? (laughs) Nice. Because there was so much bickering and backstabbing and awful infighting. And people's feelings were really hurt by the end of the game once you reveal what it is. And it's like, oh, well, you all could have gotten ahead if you had just all been honest. And, and then everybody's like, well, you shouldn't put us in that kind of situation. It's like, well, that's exactly what we... That's did. exactly the point. <laughs> you, should, yeah, the, you, should, you should feel that way. You need to... You know, and so some of it, I think, is you know just building a default switch into some of these algorithms that tends to yes, right? That tends to say yes. yes. If there is no overriding reason why we should say no. Yeah, the cost is high. Yes, uh, I get it. But that person still needs to be cared for. If there's nothing that if, if like every single light doesn't tick on to say, no, this is a bad idea, then the answer should be yes. And mm-hmm. and something as simple as that could really help fix these algorithmic problems that we're having dropping people out of these care systems.
0: That's interesting. It's it's yeah, it flips on the head. The the the, the with uh, safety systems that unless everything is go, you know, you you, you don't go. Right. Whereas unless the, unless everything says no, then then you do go. Right. I like that. I, I like that idea. Yeah. That there should be a default tendency toward compassion, toward, you know, sure, we may lose a little money, but we're actually but we are taking care of someone. You know, we're not being as efficient as we could possibly be. But, you know, people are getting taken care of as opposed to I mean, it's sort of the idea of. uh. The innocent until proven guilty rule where mm-hmm, right. we let uh, it's better to let 900 men go guilty men go free than to imprison one innocent man. And it's it's sort of that idea. We should we you know, we should let 900 cases of fraud go through or cases where the person didn't really need the services rather than let one poor uh, disabled person live in squalor and end their right. days in a horrific cruelty. I agree with that.
2: I think compassion is kind of inefficient anyway, so we need to. Yes. Uh, Understand that. Compassion
0: should be the default. Yes. All right. uh, Our last headline is uh, a little more conventional technology headline about Netflix. Netflix is apparently going to start publishing video games. Now, what this means exactly is still there's been no official announcement. Many are speculating that it's going to be more like a streaming cloud service, sort of like Google Stadia or, or uh, Microsoft was X Cloud? Is that what it's called? Something like that. Uh, yeah, they have a. They that have sounds great. Right, yeah. yeah, I think it's X Cloud. Uh, as opposed to something that's more like a, a Apple Arcade, where it's not streaming; they're downloading game, downloadable games that you get for one flat fee a month for the whole service, uh, which actually is more like. Netflix which people compared to the Netflix of, of mm-hmm. video gaming. But, uh, but it's probably more, more likely to be a, some kind of streaming service. Uh, what do you guys think of this of Netflix getting into game publishing?
2: I think that unless they get some really compelling and interesting titles, this is going to go the way that stadia. And there was another one. I cannot remember the name. Um, there was a lot of hype around it. It was three or four years ago. Um, and they had like one of those set top boxes that was like, you know, basically just a terminal. Right. Um and everyone was really excited about it and then it came out and it just wasn't that good.
1: Right. I if anybody could do it, Netflix could do it. That that's that's I I have I have yet to see something that I didn't doubt Netflix could do, and then they just proved me wrong. <laughs> right, right, right. So you know, <laughs> I'm keeping my 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 mind open about this. one.
0: <laughs> the, the key is this is this. The, they've got the streaming part. They know how to stream many, right. th- many large uh, files. You know what I mean? Like that whole like when every time a new show comes out and it debuts on a particular day and millions of people are watching it. I have many fewer glitches with Netflix than I ever do with a uh, other streaming stores like Disney plus, or like every time a new episode of the bad batch comes out, I have to fiddle with the app to try to get (laughs) to show me the the latest episode, you know, or, or or that sort of thing. So that, that streaming part of it, I, I have, I would be confident. It's the game part. And I saw in this article from Ars Technica, they mentioned that maybe they'd be building them around. Like they have created shows and movies around game properties, like the Witcher, for Mm -hmm. instance, what if they, they were doing something similar where they were building games around their already existing v- video properties. So that would be like sort of co-publishing. That's an interesting idea. I mean, they've got some things out there that they could make games from, but
1: it kind of depends on what they're talking about as a video game too. Um, I would like to see I was I was thinking about this and I was like, uh, I don't know if you guys ever played the old um, dragon's Lair game. Uh, it was an arcade game Yeah, and it was but it was oh, a movie. Yeah. It was an interactive movie, right? Sell like
0: sell so an, animation. Yeah. Sell
1: yeah. animations. Right. And and then every once in a while something would flash on the screen and you had to push a push a joystick a certain direction or press a button. I would actually like to see something like that. Um and I, I think Netflix could really push the envelope with something like that, where you had a an interactive novel and they've already been moving that direction with some things like like Black Mirror had some Episodes that were Mm -hmm. were sort of like that. So I'd be interested to see if they push the boundaries of what a video game is, and I think if they did that, that would be the way to make this thing successful.
2: I think it'd be interesting, but like you were talking about with the Dragon Slayer game, like once you play that once, you kind of know what to do. It's really just uh, you push the right button to get the next sequence, and there's not a lot of interactivity. And obviously, that was due to the limitations of the technology at the time. But I just don't see a lot of hardcore gamers going for something like that. And so this is going to have to be something that's going to appeal more to casual gamers. Like, I, I feel like this might also be or might be more like something like the Telltale games, like they did with The Walking Dead and stuff like that, mm. where it was much more narrative focused than it was gameplay focused. Mm.
0: Interesting. You know the fact that they the guy that they've hi- hired to head this group co- is comes from Oculus, from Facebook's Oculus VR group, hmm. and I wonder if it might have something also to do with uh, VR, uh, a VR hmm. immersive narrative game. I mean, that would be, I mean, I think of it a lot like um, on Oculus, the uh, Vader Immortal uh, uh, s- a series that they have there, which it's a, it's a game. It's you're a first person, you're in it, but it's a story. I mean, you're in Star Wars, which is kind of awesome. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I could imagine, I think we're all in agreement. Netf- coming from Netflix, we're sort of imagining more narrative storytelling as mm-hmm. opposed to more pure gaming um I, I don't see them doing casual gaming you know angry birds on netflix sort of style right right um it just doesn't make any sense coming from them but the the big problem is it takes years to develop a good game i mean it's these are mm-hmm. long lead times
1: well, but you know you got tv shows too that that uh, you know really good quality productions do take years That's to true. do and i think i think really we need to expand what the definition of a video game is you know i recommended um previously on on uh on our podcast here i recommended a a game called tacoma and it was a visual novel it really it wasn't a video game in the traditional sense but it would definitely fit this it would it would be a great game to convert into a live action uh on your screen game where you explore the different elements of what what's available inside of the setting I could see it being done uh, very easily and being very immersive and engaging a lot of people. And then the discussions you can have afterwards are so great because you're not just you're not limited to just what the show showed, but what actually you explored. And so maybe you explored something that your friend didn't and you compare notes on the on the story. And it's like, oh, you found that I didn't I didn't find that. How did you do that? And then you can go back and experience it again. I would imagine
0: like uh, it's not Netflix, but Disney, like you can imagine being able to explore the TVA. Or the end mm-hmm. of the end of time, place. You know, at the end of the series, spoilers. Uh, you know, or or any. You know, any, the stuff like that. Like, uh, you know, being able to just an open world. You know, where you could go mm-hmm. around and do things, and there's stuff to do. I mean, there are a lot of open world sort of games out there already where it's it's less about kind of following a path. Of, you know, to the final quest, but more just being in a world and experiencing it and, and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And there could be a narrative structure to that. I think that would be very interesting.
2: It's like first-generation uh, holodeck technology, basically. Yes, we
0: yes. just want a holodeck. There's yep. so Net- much Star
1: Trek in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Star Trek on the brain. <laughs> Before we move on, I have to point out, uh, I actually went to to college with the uh, guy who wrote this article the, oh. in Ars Technica. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> was, oh, cool. Uh, he was on my floor in my dorm room, uh, played a lot of video games with him when we were when we were in college together. Uh,
0: awesome. Nice. That is fun. Small world. Uh, Awesome. All right. So that does it for our headlines. Uh, Let's move on to our picks of the week. Uh, Why don't I go to you, Thomas? What is your pick this week?
1: OK, so my pick this week is a video transcoder. And if you don't know what a video transcoder is, it's basically just uh, a program that converts videos from one type to another. Mm hmm. And uh, mine is called, called Handbrake. You can get it at handbrake.fr. It's an open-source piece of software. Absolutely fantastic piece of software. Uh, it will allow you to, if you have a video that you need to compress down in size, or if you have a video that you need to convert to some other file type to be able to share with someone or to upload, or just to watch on your, you know, maybe you don't have the right codecs on your system and you need to convert it to watch. Uh, this this program will handle a uh, huge swath of what's out there and if if it doesn't you can probably find a library that will uh, modify the program so that it will so it's called Handbrake. Now what I've been using it for lately is um, converting my DVDs into usable uh, format for my Plex media player Mm -hmm. and um, because I'm a complete junkie the way I am everything is on my box and I'm doing it all from the command line so everything's on my server I have a (laughs) DVD drive in my server Mm -hmm. I just plug it in I run a command line uh, option on it, and boy, that has been an adventure learning all the command line options for, <laughs> for Handbrake. <laughs> nice. uh, but but then that way I don't ha- I don't take up any of my resources locally. Like my my computer is not tied up doing this. So I, my server, which is on twenty four seven, it will continue to do the conversion. And so I just loaded Handbrake up on there, and that's where I'm doing all the conversion from directly from DVD into uh, MP4s in most cases. I used
2: Handbrake about ten years ago. Um, no more than that, I guess. Uh, back when they had the video iPods, I ripped so yes. many DVDs <laughs> using that onto my iPod. Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I I did the the Plex uh, DVD conversion a few years ago when I first got my Plex server set up. Uh, and the same thing, I have I had a huge box of DVDs, and yeah, I don't want to have to have them taking up space, so I ripped them all and put them on my big hard drive and. Now I can watch The Commitments whenever I want, or I don't know, uh, Star Wars even, I, although it's on Disney+. Plus, L- Less reason to do that for some of these than there used to be. But yeah, Handbrake is a great program. It's a little bit, you got to figure things out a little bit. It's not the mm-hmm. most the, the most user-friendliest of all uh, um, interfaces. I mean, it's available for everything, Mac, Windows, Linux, and all that sort of stuff. But right. mm-hmm. But there's plenty of tutorials out there, and it's been around forever. It's solid as a rock, so... Good. That's yeah, a good pick. It just works. It yes, really does. It does. Great. Jack, what's your pick this week?
2: So, my pick is uh, kind of in line with what we were talking about in the last news article about immersive experiences. Um, a couple weeks ago, uh, me and my family went to the Vincent van Gogh immersive experience. And what it is, is basically they have this gigantic room set up with a bunch of really. Uh, high definition projectors. And it goes through this whole immersive projection story of Vincent van Gogh's life. And they do like animated versions of all his paintings and all these really cool effects. It covers all the walls. It covers the floor. It goes through his art style, the development of his art style. And it was, it was really, really awesome. Um, they also Mm -hmm. have a component of it where you use an Oculus Rift and it takes you through like the village that he grew up in and through his life with, um, with that, and you could like look around and see like his room and like his painting style and all that stuff um it was really, really a lot of fun um it it's a touring around in a bunch of different cities. if you have the opportunity to go, I would definitely say go um my son he's five years old, uh he absolutely loved it, so it's a really good thing for kids because it's a very hand on way to experience art
0: cool, yeah, it's coming to Boston I have to check it out uh, you should be, definitely go be here in uh, September um. Excellent. I've been seeing ads for it everywhere, but I wasn't sure about it. But uh, yeah, if you've seen it. I, I'm. Who doesn't like Van Gogh? One of the greatest. Even the yeah. doctor loves him. It's a Doctor Who thing. It, it's uh, one of the best Doctor <laughs> Who episodes. All right. Uh. Great. Thank you, Jack. That's a good pick. So my pick is the new Siri remote for Apple TV. I, I, I mentioned I was getting it a, uh like a month ago now, and I've had plenty of time to use it. And let me tell you... <laughs> It is night and day from the old Apple TV remote. The old Apple TV remote is famously bad. Like, it's so funny. Apple has some great products, and then they have accessories that are terrible, like the, the round mouse, where you have no way of knowing which way it's pointing, <laughs> you know, things like that. Well, the the original Apple, well, the, the, the most recent Apple TV remote was just terribly designed. It was It was so symmetrical that you never could tell whether it was right side up or not when you're holding it in your hand without looking at it, and it was just I had all kinds of problems. The new one is great because it has actual buttons. Um, it has an on-off button, which is great because I can turn on the Apple TV and my TV at the same time with the on-off button, whereas with the old one, you had to press any button to turn the Apple TV on, and then I had to, I had to use my other remote to turn on the TV. The one downside is that they've sort of rearranged some of the buttons, so like the the pause button is not exactly where my thumb expects it to be. So I'm often hitting, what was the mute key, which doesn't really work with my TV anyway, or my home theater. So it, it doesn't do anything, which is better than doing something wrong. Uh, uh, the, the the Siri button is on the side, which is weird. And I, I do hit that a, once in a while, and it's kind of annoying. Um, I wish that were harder to hit. But in general, I love that the, it's got the click wheel sort of thing going on, like you had with the old iPods, and it feels very familiar. And the best improvement is the skip ahead button. You you, you know, you fast forward 10 seconds. It actually works without, like, before you had to kind of very carefully place your finger on the glass trackpad portion and press it just right. This one is, it. it's just a click of a button, so... It is it is much nicer and it feels just feels better in the hand. I did get a case for it that has a lanyard and in, in a uh, it's a uh, what do I call it a holder. So I I stuck it to a bookcase next to the TV and I, it slides in there and so it lives in the holder, which is nice. Uh, maybe I'll make that an, another pick in the in a future week. But um, nice, yeah. So the Apple Siri remote, well worth it. Even if you don't have a brand new Apple TV, it works on the
2: older ones. I do have a question. Yes. So you're talking about the automations earlier? Have yes. you set it up so that when you start it like dims your lights and all that with the with the Siri remote?
0: It could, yeah. I could do that. That'd be cool. Mm. Yeah.
1: What's your next automation? <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, you know they have those the 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 Philips Hue lights that go behind the TV. You mm-hmm. know, maybe. Mm-hmm. It, uh, like, you know, when that whenever whenever a, a Star Wars thing starts, it should, like, have the lights yeah, go. Out. THX. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I'll have to think of some cool automations having to do with the Apple TV. That, they're actually, I've seen some out there. That would be fun. Nice. I'll, I'll think of that. Awesome. Uh, that should do it for us this time. So we'd love to hear from you. Anything we've talked about, any comments you have, we want to hear from you by, you can comment on the show at sqpn.com slash technology or at the SQPN Facebook page, facebook.com slash starquestmedia, or send an email to technology at sqpn.com. We're also on Twitter where we're at SQPN. You can find us there as well. You can find links from our discussion and our picks of the week on our show notes at sqpn.com. Be sure to write a review in Apple Podcasts. We've had a few uh, uh, reviews. We'd love to get more. It really helps a lot. So if you can write a review of the show at Apple Podcasts or any of the podcast directories and then share the podcast with your friends. We, we think we've got a lot of helpful information here from a very particular viewpoint, and we think a lot of people would benefit from it, and we'd appreciate it if you'd help us to reach them. So until next time, Thomas and Herho, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of technology. It's been great. Jack Barazzini, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Technology on StarQuest.